Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you here tonight again as we continue to profile some of the managers, the coaches, and other key people in this Blues organization over the years. And if you've missed any of the previous shows, whether it be on Red Berenson or Barkley Plager, Scotty Bowman. You could always check out the podcast at 101ESPN.com. We're pleased to be joined now by former Blues general manager Larry Plo, who's going to join us for this hour. And oh, we got a lot to talk about from a fantastic playing career to uh, coaching to winning Stanley Cups to to kind of getting the Blues back on track. And uh, it's a good thing we've got him for this stretch of time, too. Uh, he's back home in Massachusetts right now. Larry, thanks for giving us some time tonight. How are you? Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It'll be fun. Yeah, you know what? We're, we've we've taken some time to, to talk about to some of the different people that have helped run the St. Louis Blues organization. When you look at your time as the Blues general manager and part of this organization, and still a part of it, as a matter of fact, for those that don't know, still doing some scouting work and some work on the amateur side of things, What? how do you kind of put that all into perspective? Boy, that's uh, <laughs> it's hard to believe, but I think it's been 23 years that I've been with the organization. So it's, uh, you know, it all started for me with an interview with uh, Mark Sauer. You know, the Blues were, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, Mark went in there, you know, for for helping out, and he was going to take over, and then he was looking for a general manager, and he had called me, and I think they had hired Joel already just about at that same time. Right. And uh, I knew Joel very well because I had him as a player, and, uh, I, I, I had been around him quite a bit as a person. Um, and I met with, with Mark. We met in New York City. I was working for the Rangers at the time, assistant general manager, vice president. And we were in a playoff run at that time. And uh, Mark and I met in uh, at Robert De Niro's restaurant. And we sat there for about five or six hours. And uh, everything seemed to go well. But you never know, Curbs, in these interviews, what, what's really what somebody's really thinking about. And then he called me about two or three days later and said, I'd like to have you come into St. Louis and for another interview and meet with Jerry Ritter. And uh, and I did that, and everything seemed to go great. And I was at a stage where I really felt that I needed something different. You know, I, w- I had been in New York for eight years, and it was uh, New York. Uh, uh, I felt that the next step was, you know, another organization. So it was the timing was right, which is a big thing. And a lot of these things all the time, the timing has got to be right for both parties. So I went in and then they offered me the contract. And it was, uh, it was interesting because um, they offered me a contract and I went back to let the Rangers know. And I met with Neil Smith and uh, Dave Checkets at that time was, was running the, uh, the Rangers at the time too. He was running the garden, Madison square garden. And uh, I, I told him that St. Louis had offered me a contract. And Neil and I met for dinner that night with the wife, his wife and my wife in New York. And he said to me that uh, I've got the okay from upper management, uh, basically for you to write your own contract for the next five years. And uh, I said, I said, Neil, look at, I said, New York isn't, isn't me. <laughs> it was just not Larry and Wendy. Uh, we loved it there and it's great, but I just, you know, I said that, St. Louis really was uh, uh, more of something that was right for the close. And um, I actually could have got five years there. And, uh, St. Louis gave me four years with less money. So 
so it, you know, just the way things the, the way things end up and the way things go. Uh, two different organizations, naturally, at that time, too. I mean, financially, the Rangers were, you know, at the top, and in in St. Louis at that time was going through a time where, you know, Mark would tell you himself that he was brought in there to get the, the budgets in line. So that's the way it started for us, and uh, then we finally came to terms, and we had the press conference, and I can remember Wendy and I flying out there, and the one thing that I always heard about, you know, because you know, you're always talking to people and what St. Louis like, and it's uh <laughs> kind of a city right in the middle of the country and it's it's not a big city but it is and it's but it's close to a, a city like chicago um but the one thing they all said always said was that uh, it, it's a great place for family um so that was uh it was really you know that's how it started for us and it was uh hey 23 years later i think it's 23 <laughs> years i think it was 97 97 uh, yeah, ninety-seven June, July one, ninety-seven when I took over. Well, I, I stayed with the I stayed with the Rangers for the draft because they had they had the draft in St. Louis that year, didn't they? In ninety-seven, uh, that the year ninety-six, I think ninety-six was oh, it ninety-seven? Okay, one of those two, right, uh, right around there. Reason was the pick, the the the, the pick for the for the uh, Blues at the time. Right, I was still running the the draft table for the Rangers, and then. Six days later, I came in and uh, took over for St. Louis. Well, it started actually for you quite a long while before that. We're going to get into your time and some more specifics uh, with the St. Louis Blues as we move along here. We've got Larry Plow with us for the entire hour here as we bring you the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. But it started as you in the late 60s and early 70s really being one of the top U.S. prospects in the game of hockey, Larry, what was it like growing up in New England and making the decision to go play junior hockey in Montreal? Well, if I could sit here and tell you I knew what I was doing, that would be one thing, but I had no idea. You know, <laughs> in those days, I was playing I was playing high school. I just finished my high school year, my sophomore year in high school. And uh, as a hockey player then, you know, I knew nothing about junior hockey or anything like that. And it's amazing how many people that, were involved with my life that uh, uh, went through St. Louis also. And uh, so I was at a hockey school in Worcester, Mass. This was in the August of 63. And in those days, all the uh, hockey schools had just started up, but they were all run by, they, they weren't owned by the NHL players, but they were run by NHL players. They would come there in the summertime and teach. And in those days, an NHL player needed a job in the summertime. You, you know, you didn't have what you had today. Right. So we had Ralph Backstrom and Charlie Hodge, Stan Makita. We had Eddie Litzenberger, Junior Langlois. These these uh, players were running the Worcester Hockey School, and Charlie Hodge and Ralph Backstrom called up to the Montreal Canadiens to Frank Selke Sr., who was running the Canadiens, and said, you better come down and see this kid play. So... We finished the school, and then it was a Sunday afternoon in Lynn, Mass. I was playing a pickup game, and I didn't know Scotty Bowman from the hole in the wall. <laughs> but uh, after after the game, uh, we, my my parents and I were walking out of the rink, and the, the, this gentleman came up and introduced himself, and he said, "I'm Scotty Bowman from the Montreal Canadiens. I came down to watch you play." And I, you know, I didn't know <laughs> what do you say, what do you do? I have no idea, you know. So uh, he said, can I come back to your house? And I said, fine. You know, so he came back with us and he said, I'd like you to go play uh, junior hockey. And, uh, you know, the Montreal Canadiens are willing to sign you right now to a contract. And in those days, there was no draft. So uh, 
that's how the the hockey side of it started for me. And, and Ron Caron was involved in the whole thing too, because when my mother and I flew to Montreal to meet them for for, for training camp at the end of August, junior training camp started at the end of August. Um, the, the people who met me on the plane, coming off the plane, we flew from Boston to Montreal, was Ron Caron, Cliff Fletcher, and Scotty Bowman. Wow. And they took me down to the, they took me down to the Montreal farm and introduced me to Frank Selke Jr. Uh, now Frank Selke, I mean Sam, Frank Selke Sr. Frank Selke Sr. was a short man. You know who I'm talking mm-hmm. about, right? Curbs. Most of, most of them don't know, but he was running the Montreal Canadiens, and he was about five two. So when we walked in the office, you could barely see his head over the desk. <laughs> and he said to my mother and myself, he said that, uh, you know, I hope that uh, Ralph Baxter was the one who called on you. And I hope you have as good a career as Ralph Baxter. So that's the way it started. You know, it was, uh, again, if I could sit here and tell you I knew what I was doing, or this was going to happen 50 years later or whatever it is, uh, I'd be lying. I had no clue. Well, now, is it true that – so you you got a Stanley Cup ring for one of those Montreal championships, but but didn't have enough games played to have your name on the cup for that? Yes, in those days it was a lot different. That was that would be in uh, let's see, I turned turned pro in '69, so '69, '70, '70, '71, so '71, '72, so '71 I think was the cup team for us that I was associated with. Yeah, '70, '71, um, and in those days you had to play a shift in the finals to get your name on the cup, unless you were injured and you were a regular player during the year. So I had dressed a game against, we played Minnesota in the semis. I had dressed a game there, but never got a shift. And then when we got to the finals, I dressed, I think it was two games uh, against Chicago, but I never got a shift. So, uh, no, I didn't get my name on the cup. There was a couple of guys like that. Bobby Sheen, I think, was another one. And, um, and, And we never, and the funny part about that team was, you know, we had so many players that had already won the cup like six, seven times, like Bellevue or Richard. Conway, um, all those guys, uh, you know, they had won so many cups, they didn't want any rings. So they all voted against rings as a team. <laughs> they, they got a house full of furniture. So, uh, really? You know, what are, yeah, yeah. What are Wendy and I going to do with a house full of furniture? We don't have any house. We barely <laughs> have an apartment for six months, maybe. So uh, we never got rings. And it must have been about 10 years ago. Uh, Pierre Bouchard was on that team, Reggie Hull, Mark Tardif. Some, we were the young kids on the team. And um, Reggie and Pierre do a lot of work. Well, Reggie works for the Canadians still on the alumni side. Um, I got a letter in the mail, and it was from the, the alumni in Montreal. And they said that uh, they had asked the Canadians if the alumni pays half, would the Canadians uh, pay half? They buy rings for the players that were on that team that are still alive, and they did. And you should see the rings are beautiful. They're not like they are today, you know. Right. But they're they're be- they're beautiful rings. They're they're a ring you could actually wear, and uh, so it was nice. You know, they really have. They've always been a pretty strong organization you know, with their alumni, and just like the like the Blues, right. you know, there's so many people live in St. Louis that uh, so many alumni. And when I went there, you know, you always heard what a great city it was. And a lot of the players loved it there. And when we got there, there was the, the alumni was great. I mean, they were just fantastic. But the thing about it, when you looked at it was most of the alumni that lived there 
had come there, been traded away, and then came back to live. So what does that say about your city, you know, right. and, and your fans and your people? So, Okay, I have to ask anyway, this question no, real quick. Uh, uh, did you get the furniture anyway? We got some furniture. We, you know, we could only take so much. <laughs> we got, like, record players and things like that, TVs. And <laughs> there you go. We're talking so that's, a, with, that's a true story. I, I love it. We're talking with a former Blues general manager and, and current Blues uh, scout and player personnel, Larry Plo. We'll take a quick break here on the Boardwalk Carver Floors Behind the Bench Show. When we come back, a little more of Larry's history, plus a lot of Blues history to get into as we continue here on a Wednesday night on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Well, we welcome you back into the Boardwalk Cardboard Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you here on a Wednesday night as we continue to profile different members of the St. Louis Blues uh, coaching staffs, front office staffs, important people in, in St. Louis Blues history. And we're joined uh, this hour by former Blues general manager Larry Plo, still a part of the organization, uh, was part of all the festivities last season when the Blues won the Stanley Cup. And Larry, uh, even though you know your time as general manager is gone, you've stayed very much involved. Every draft, people still see you at the table, you know, running things. Uh, what did it mean for you to watch the St. Louis Blues and be a part of this team finally getting to the top of the mountaintop and winning the cup last year? It was really very satisfying. Um, you know, when when uh, Wendy and I left as the general manager. You know, I was working with JD, and Wendy had gotten sick, and about uh, there was about two years left before I was going to leave. And JD and I said, you know, we should bring somebody in to uh, to work with you, and then he takes over as a general manager. You know, we thought about that, and we said that's the right thing to do. And then we came, we came up with Doug Armstrong, and you know, to to stay with Doug. I mean, he asked me to stay on with him, and. Uh, at that time, the amateur scouting, uh, Yamo had left to go to Finland at the end of that year when Doug took over. And, uh, you know, he had asked me, who do you think should run the uh, the amateur? And I felt Billy Armstrong was the guy at the time, you know. And um, he said, would you stay on and work with him for a year? And I said, yeah, I'll do it for a year because I'm going to move back to Boston at the end of the year. So I'd be here for this year. And... Uh, here it is, what, 10 years later, I'm still doing it part-time. Um, so it's really satisfying because, you know, 23 years of our life has been spent with the Blues and to see them win the way they won last year and the, the way the team played. I, I think if you're a general manager or coach, uh, when you look at teams and how they play, that's how you want your team to play. I mean, last year was just phenomenal, the way that team came together. You, you viewed the whole thing right up above. You had the best eyes on it. But, I mean, when you have a team that come together like they did last year, that doesn't always happen in sports. And to be part of that, uh, to see the fans re- react to it, the parade was fantastic. Uh, how many years did they wait for that type of parade? They've had many parades with the uh, with the Cardinals right? and uh, the football team, but the Rams. But to have it happen after all those years, and to be part of that, it was really fun. Right. It was a lot of fun. Larry, were you one that the, the hockey ops flowed to that got derailed as we were trying to find a way to get through the crowd to the stage? Yeah. I, well, uh, I was I, I was actually, I was in uh, St. John's, New Brunswick the night before. And uh, um, I wasn't even going to get there for the parade. And Doug says, you got to come in. 
And uh, so I flew from St. John's on a Friday night and to Toronto and then into St. Louis that morning. And I to try to get to the parade from the airport was is crazy. I had to walk the last two two miles. The crowd was trying to get through that. Oh, it, so was, it, was, it was crazy. It, it was fantastic, you know. And to see that happen and knowing that the how loyal the fans are in that city and the media and how long everybody had waited for it to to watch it happen and be part of it was, was special for both my wife and I. What was it like for you to be a part of uh, the USA team for the 1968 Olympics? Um, when you're, I guess it's not a problem with the, I'm sure everybody feels the same way. When you're that, like we were, I was 22. I was in the military at the time. I had been drafted in the uh, June of 67. And I was assigned for basic training at Fort Campbell, Kentucky in July and August. So I went and took my, my basic training. I couldn't get into the National Guard uh, because they were, they were so full. And I was drafted with the lottery. So after the two months of my basic training, uh, my phone rings, and it's Murray Williamson, who's the coach of the Olympic team. And he says to me, Larry, he says, uh, would you try out for the Olympic team? And I said, Murray, I'd love to try out, but uh, I'm in the Army. So he calls me back, and he says, let me, let me call you back. He called me back. He says, I've got you uh, a temporary duty for a weekend for a tryout. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, in those days, Curbs, the military loved to be part of the sporting world. They had the boxing and things, wrestling and things like that. And, and so they were very happy for me to go try out. So I went and, uh, on a tryout, and I made the team. And I said to Murray, and Murray Williams, who was a coach, I said, well, what do I do now? He said, don't worry, we'll get it taken care of. So they put me on uh, temporary duty for six months. So that was part of my military playing on the Olympics. And you're so young, to answer your question, you, you, it was great. But it, it's all when you think back, it's great. You, you, what you're going through at that time, you don't realize what it really is. And it was in Grenoble, France. Uh, uh, I think it was Nancy Green, I think it was, that was uh, the, no, uh, no, Fleming, Peggy Fleming, I think yep, it was, Peggy in Fleming. Yep. 68, yeah, that won the goal for the for the skating, and so it was John Keeley, John Claude Keeley was the uh, the downhill skier, so it was it was really good, it was an experience you go through at a young age that uh, when you're this age now, you'd like to say, well, it'd be nice to go through it now and understand more about it. What happened on the military side after the six months was done? Do you really want to know? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's my military. I'm embarrassed to say it because it shouldn't happen that way, but that's the way the world was in those days. Um, I I went back to Boston uh, after the Olympics, uh, and that was in March sometime. And I called down to the personnel department where I was stationed before that, and uh, they said, we'll send you some orders out. So they sent me some uh, orders to report to Fort Dix, New Jersey. There was an Air Force base there, and there was a military, an Army base there just outside of uh, New York and New Jersey. So I drove down there. I went into the personnel department, and uh, I got into the personnel department. The guy looks at my orders, and he said, geez, he said, I, you only got about 12 or 13 months left in your duty. There's not much I can do with you now. And I, and I said to him, I said, uh, he says to me, he says, what do, you, what do you want to do? What do you think you can do? I says, well, look, I passed the golf course on the way in, 
I said, I got experience working on the golf course. He says, you got it. I'll put you over there. So <laughs> they assigned me to they assigned me for the, to the golf course to work on the greens for the, wow. for the, next, for the last uh, 13 or 14 months. But the, I got to finish the story on it. The, um, uh, so when I got there, there was this one sergeant. He was my sergeant at the golf course, and he had to be like 350 pounds. So when I got there and I reported in the morning, every morning, and I was watching what was going on, and, uh, you know, everybody was working on the golf course. You had your certain duties and everything, and there was four guys that never went out and worked. So I looked at what the hell they were doing. They were playing the double-deck pinnacle. So... I never knew what double-deck pinochle was, but I learned pretty quick. So as soon as somebody dropped out of the double-deck pinochle game, I jumped in. <laughs> so I was working on the golf course playing double-deck pinochle. <laughs> All right, so we get we get you back. Uh, then when that's done, you get back to playing hockey. Um, when you well, decided- I, played, I played for a year. You know, the, that year, that year, my last year, um, I was with the Montreal Canadiens and owned by them. And uh, they... Uh, uh, called down to Philadelphia, and there was a team in the East Coast Hockey League in the Jersey Devils playing at Cherry Hill. And uh, the Canadians asked if I could play on that team if they if they would let me, if the military would let me. So the military, they weren't, they didn't want anything to do with it at this time. The the, the personnel base where I was at Fort Dix, but my sergeant loved it. He loved hockey, so he said, "You go ahead and play." And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just keep it between you and I. And I played 67 out of 72 games and won Rookie of the Year. Never practiced once. Wow. So that was my final That was my final year. I, I am always <laughs> amazed how life works out. I mean, things work in, in yeah. some ways. You know, if you end up with a sergeant that's not, you know, into hockey, or into, maybe it's a different story, but the, oh, the way that works yeah. out. Uh, can you take me through the decision to jump to the WHA? Yeah, I was, you know, I, I was with the I turned pro in '69 with Montreal, and I spent uh, three years there. And um, basically, I just wanted to play. You know, I was just a bench, a bench warmer with Montreal, and um, so we well, I had finished the third year, and we had lost to the Rangers in the playoffs. Um, Jimmy Roberts was on the team, and, and then my wife and Jimmy's wife were really good friends. Um, so when the season ended, the WHA had signed up. They had a team in Boston, New England Whalers, and they had contacted uh, my agent and uh, said, would you be interested in playing? And, and I said, sure, I would. I just wanted to play. So on April 14th, I think it was, right around that date, 72, I called Sammy Pollock, who was running the Montreal Canadiens at the time, and I, I asked Mr. Pollock that. I said, look, at me. I'm just a bench warmer here. I want to play. And um, I said, that, would you trade me? Because Vancouver and the Islanders, I think, were coming in at that time. And I knew they had interest in me, too. I said, if you trade me to one of those teams or someplace, I just want a chance to play. And it's not going to happen here. And I said, if you don't, I'm going to sign tomorrow morning. Uh, that the people, the ownership uh, from uh, from the uh, New England Whalers were flying up. And uh, we were going to have uh, signed the contract, my wife and I, and they were flying back to Boston for a uh, press conference. And he said, Larry, let me tell you something. Uh, I'm not going to trade you, and there'll never be a WHA. And I said, Mr. Pollock, then I'm leaving tomorrow morning. And they flew up. We went back, had a press conference in Cambridge, 
and the WHA started. I was the first publicly one to sign, publicly have a press conference. Now, there were some players that were signed ahead of me, but they didn't have a press conference. That was in April of 72. I think it was the 14th. And you go on to so, win the win the Avco Cup, and uh, and then that that really kind of launched the rest of the playing and eventual coaching career, didn't it? Yes, yes, yep. We uh, we ended up winning the first year. Hey, I mean to WHA for me, anyways, and not just in players or I think the whole world of hockey changed then. Um, it became very public as far as what the ownership at the NHL was controlling at that time and the salaries and how they were running the league. And I think that WHA had a lot to do with where we're at now over no. time, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. You're listening to the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. We're pleased to be uh, profiling this week former Blues General Manager Larry Plo joining us for the hour. Don't forget, Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. You can increase the style and the value of your home with new hardwood floors. Uh, now, it's a local family-owned business doing quality work in our community for more than 22 years. The three area showrooms are not open yet, but give them a call at 314 730 3100 314-730-3100 and shop online at boardwalkhardwood.com. We'll come back in a moment and start to really delve into how Larry Plo kind of helped turn the St. Louis Blues organization around. We continue with the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show here in just a moment on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. And again, we bring you back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. Uh, thrilled to be joined this hour by former Blues general manager Larry Plo, still a part of the organization on the scouting side. And after we just talked about, you know, kind of him jumping into the WHA and he eventually became coach of the, the Hartford Whalers in the National Hockey League, spent some time coaching in the minor leagues as well in Binghamton, the, the affiliate. But then joined the New York Rangers, as he mentioned, in the first segment. And after eight years with the New York Rangers, uh, interviewed by Mark Sauer and joined the St. Louis Blues. However, Larry, at that time, it wasn't as clean as, okay, uh, we'd like to promote somebody, so you go do it. They actually had to send Mike Peluso to the to the New York Rangers in, in compensation for signing you. Yeah, yeah. In those days, they did. Yeah, because I was still on the contract. And that was in, in, in the company. I think, yeah, I think the compensation might have been a fifth round pick in him, something like that. I yeah. forget exactly what it was. So, uh, but you know, general manager it, for a player. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like a. Um, well, I can I can remember when I came to St. Louis. I was there the first year, and Kevin McDonald. I was with him in New York. Kevin was in the media business, in the PR side of things. In, in, uh, one with the media, and um, when I was with the Rangers the last couple of years, he wanted to get into scouting and stuff, so I put him into the scouting field. And um, when I went to St. Louis, about halfway through the year, Glenn Sather and I were talking, and he was running the Rangers at the time, and um, he, he was saying, you know, I'm going to make some changes in the, in the management and, uh, and in the scouting field, and uh, yeah, I know you know Kevin, I'm not going to bring Kevin back, and and uh, I said to him, I said, well, let, let me take Kevin now then. And I said, let, let's have, let, let, we'll make a trade, you know. <laughs> and in those days, you would do those type of things, you know. Right. But he said, ah, I don't want to do anything right now. But so, you know, Kevin at the end of the year didn't have a contract. So he's still with you guys for a long time now. You know, I don't know how many, what, 20 some odd years. Yeah, ever since you years. brought him in. Yeah. He's still assistant yeah, general yeah, manager yeah. helping oversee the American Hockey League uh, affiliations. Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I've been a part of the organization for a long time. Now, just prior to you taking over, the Blues had signed Pavel Dimitra uh, and in compensation for that, sent Krister Olsen going the other way. And then a little while later, after you took over, later in the fall, you signed Michael Hanzus, and all of a sudden the cycling Slovakians kind of became part yeah. of the identity of the, of the St. Louis Blues. Can you take us through that part of it and maybe the, their identity that helped really start to turn this uh, organization around? Well, they, you know, uh, Teddy Hampson, uh, and uh, Matt Cater were in the scouting uh, field for us. And Teddy was, Stastny was still around at the time, uh, and Peter and Teddy were, were close. And Peter really was pushing the, the uh, Slovakians. And they had started, their program had started to climb, too. So, you know, we signed Hansus, and then... Uh, What's his name came uh, along with that too? Uh, oh shit, I can't think of the other winger. Can help me here. Uh, Bartesco, uh, Lubos. Bartesco, yeah, yeah, yeah Lubos, uh, and uh, they became. Remember the line? They were they were just fantastic, you know. And uh, you know, Dimitra and Hansus were, were another level from Bartesco, but I think he fit in so well because he knew their style of play, and. Uh, it was a prevalent part of the business at that time. The more the Europeans started to come, even more and more, and they became a big part of our team. Hansus was a heck of a player, along with Pavel too. Good, good, good players, good people too. And you know, for for those the Blues had hired Joe Quenville just before you took over. But as you said, you knew him yeah. well, so th- this wasn't going to be one of those issues where a new general manager comes in, really kind of wondering if he has the right coach. No. No, I knew Joel very well. I knew his coaching uh, in the minors and stuff, and I coached him also. He he was one of those players that you knew was going to be a coach, the way he handled himself as a, as a player, the way he prepared himself, and and how the guys look, how the, his players, his teammates looked at him. You could tell that he was going to be one of those. wasn't the most talented guy in the world, but he found ways to make things happen and found ways to play. Yeah, and very. Uh, very, very respectful person and dependable type of player. So I knew right away that he was going to be a coach. And uh, I can't sit here and tell you he's going to be the third most winning coach, but I think he, he was going to be a hell of a coach. And he is, as you know. Uh, and he still is. Yeah, oh yeah, still is. Larry, when you took over, how did you view this team? Because you also had some pretty good talent and some future Hall of Famers sitting there uh, still playing for you as well. Well, it was funny because when I came in, everybody was saying, oh, the team's not very good, you know, geez, uh, you, know, they, you know, they wanted to uh, get things financially under control and get the budgets rolling in the right direction. They wanted to develop in the minors. And, and I had done a lot of that stuff with, uh, with, with uh, the Rangers. So I think that was kind of the, the draw for Mark Sauer to me. Um, but we started out. I mean, we had we had a good team, a really good team. You know, Brett Hull was one of the, to me, he's still the best goal scorer I've ever seen uh, as far as the ability to get himself in position, get the puck off. And, and, you know, we had a good hockey team. And so I was kind of surprised a little bit because you don't, you don't watch teams that much when you're, and especially I wasn't doing a lot of the NHL at that time. But uh, our team was good. We had a good team. We had a good year. Yeah. So I was a little surprised at that, and that kind of gave us a push as far as uh, we had a better team, and we still started our minor league system and started to prepare more there. 
it was it was nice to have that chance to have some success while you're trying to start those things. Was that President's Trophy team, the 99-2000 team, did they meet expectations of the regular season, or in your mind, did they exceed them? Oh, boy. Probably exceeded them. Um, the... Um, <clears throat> We had what's his, what was that? Well, the goalie was Roman, right? Roman, Roman, Turek, Roman. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. No, we made the trade for Roman right after the. I can remember when it happened. We were uh, it was at the end of June, and Dallas had just won the cup. If I'm not, if I remember correctly, right. And um, and they couldn't. Uh, did we have expansion then? Was something going on? Well, yeah, the, well, reason? you had the '98 expan. Yeah, in '98 in was the expansion draft. There was something, anyways, that made it difficult for them to keep Roman. So I had called Bob Ganey. Like, they had won the night before, and I called Bob Ganey that morning. I said, Jesus, I know you're busy. I, uh, congratulations, but I really have a lot of interest in Roman. And uh, he said, let's make a deal. So we made a deal right there. <laughs> they had won the cup. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, he and Roman came in and was really good. He just didn't play in the playoffs as well as uh, right. uh but, you know, our, no, our team was, uh, I mean, when you have Pronger and McGinnis on defense, I mean, that's a pretty good start. <laughs> and they're playing, you know, you got one of them, if you, it, when you're coaching, you've got one of them on the ice pretty well every shift if you want. Right. So it's a, it's a pretty nice way to start. Larry, so I was kind of lucky there. How... The team was a lot better than when I took over than, than what you know, my expectations were or what even the, I think the public image was. Yeah, and and the public image part might have, might have been uh, the bigger part of that, having just come out of the, the Mike Keenan era of that. What uh, what was it like for you to have to manage through the Brett Hall scenario and eventually the decision to instead of knowing that he might be leaving the trade versus play it out and then he signs with the Dallas Stars? What what, what was that process like from your perspective? Um. You know, it was really – Brett was really good throughout the whole thing. Um, I, I, I think it was just the timing for everything was better for all parties to go in another direction. Um, we had offered him a contract, and he wanted more than that. But I'm not sure it was the money on his side either. I, I think it was just maybe it's time to depart. Um I can remember uh, the first meeting I had with him and uh, Michael Bennett, uh, Michael Barnett, Barnett the yep. agent. Wasn't it Barnett? Barnett yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we both met at the, uh, the hotel over in, uh, I forget what the hotel was. It's where we all stayed last year during the during the uh, playoffs when we came out there. Um, but we met, and uh, I kind of outlined what we were looking at and we would be willing to to give him a contract. Uh, and I kind of said the range that uh, I was looking at, I didn't make a proposal, but just gave him a kind of a range. And, 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 and Brett was good. He was, he was right up front. He said that that's not going to do it. And this was in the beginning of the year. You know, we hadn't even got on the ice yet. This was summertime in August. And, uh, Mike said, well, hey, you know, you're going to have to make a decision, you know, whether you want to stay here or not over the next year or so. So, like I said, I think he handled it well. I think the management was fine. We had our ups and downs in, in our meetings. And, um, but, you know, Brett, I mean, he's always very, 
very upfront with his comments. So, right. uh, you know, and I really liked Brett. I thought that uh, his, his I, like I said, I, I always and I still do think he was the best goal scorer, natural goal scorer. But, but from I a general manager right standpoint, thing. trying to build a team, was it was it that hard? I mean, the process of going through and realizing, okay, the greatest goal scorer you've ever seen is about to leave. But, you know, again, I think both parties knew it was the right time. Gotcha. And even when it came down at the end that uh, he knew he wasn't going to – I think we could have offered him anything. He wasn't going to stay. I just That's my feeling. Yep. I just think it was uh, – uh, it was, sometimes it's the right thing, and he went on to win two cups, and uh, he he did what he did, you know, and what he does do. And uh, you're, and like I say, my thing is he handled it well as a person, and that's that's all you can ask in the long run. You, you're not going to make everybody happy all the time. You can't. Right. Well, and you know, we would have liked it. We would have liked to have got some trades, uh, but the, there wasn't the compensation out there to to make the trade because our team was so good. And we felt, hey, we're not going to. I'm not trading them at this time. We're fighting, and we we got a chance in the playoffs to to win and, and do something. So, my thing as far as uh, trading him is, I wasn't going to give him away. Right. And that's why we didn't trade him at the deadline because we were in the we were in the race and we had a good team and we could do something in the playoffs. And I wasn't going to do that. I mean, we could have made trades if we if we wanted to, but I wasn't going to do it because of the the way our team was. I said, I'll just, I'll just deal with it. Let's try to win and deal with it from there. We're talking with Blues, uh, former Blues general manager Larry Plo. One more segment to go with him as uh, we kind of move into the, the early 2000 part of his tenure with, with the St. Louis Blues. We'll take a quick break, come back in a moment. It's the Behind the Bench show presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors right here on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Let me bring you back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. Chris Kerber with you here. And again, a big thank you to uh, former Blues general manager and uh, current scout Larry Plo, of course, as we mentioned earlier, was part of all the celebrations last year, still a part of the organization organization that he's been a part of now for 23 years took over as general manager in 1997 all right larry i'm going to ask you about to you know see if you what you remember or just uh, some scenarios leading into a couple of trades and, and things but I, I do want to ask you this and um i don't know i mean publicly maybe you've been asked but i don't know if enough times passed but um at the time in the early 2000s you win the president's trophy and then that that stunning loss to san jose which was difficult i know for everybody in that round you wanted to improve the goaltending situation how close did you feel that you were to bringing dominic Hasek to the st louis blues um it was it was interesting i gotta tell you just one quick story before as a player because it's uh okay. i wanted to say something early so get me back to dominic after all right but when i was a player just to show you the difference in today's world in the bit in the business in in yesterday's world i was playing for the montreal canadians and i was just a bench warmer so we were playing in chicago one night and and uh, i never got a shift myself and pierre boucher never got a shift and so uh we used to call ourselves the, the divider. You know, we'd stop the D for the forwards from going down to the D, and he would stop the D from going down to the forwards. So we were the separators on the bench. So we got beat really bad, like eight to one. Scotty was coaching, and uh, this is the difference between Scotty today and then. You know, it's, it's, it's Scotty was coaching, so we, we got beat eight to one. We go into the dressing room after, and uh, he comes in and he just unloads on everybody. He goes right around the room. Didn't matter who it was, right? So then he comes to Pierre Bouchard and myself, and we hadn't played a shift. So he looks at us and he says, and for you two effing guys, you guys don't even know how to chair the right way when you're sitting on the bench. 
She says, "You guys have cheer- you guys have cheerleaders have failed tonight." <laughs> and you're probably thinking, "Well, we got to be good here. We haven't gone out. There's nothing he can do to us, right?" <laughs> yeah, that's what we're thinking. We're, and then we then we're looking at everybody's everybody's snickering like hell too, you know. But I mean, that's you know. That's why Scotty's so good too. I mean, I'm just saying this because people yeah. know Scotty, and he, he thats why he was so good. Because he, you know, he he coached in five decades, and you had to change from decade to decade. Otherwise, you're not staying there. Oh know? yeah, the long the the coaches that can succeed with longevity uh, show that they've got the adaptability yeah. and why they're such great coaches. That's why. Uh, that's why to me, to... somebody winning, you know, you hit milestones you 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 win the amount that ken hitchcock and some of these others uh joel quenville and al arby you did that because you managed to be able to coach many different players and different styles you know what so you, had is, to. you know you know what else is good that's right you're absolutely right but the other side of it that people don't realize and and it's a sports world is is that old saying well you know you know any coach could have won five stanley cups or five super bowls like with belichick here you know well you know something Good coaches can coach good players. And, you know, hard-working coaches sometimes, they can't go coach good players. They don't right. They don't want to give them their room, you know. So that's such a used phrase that is so far out of it in, in the coaching world that the better your team is, boy, the better your coach has to be. Yeah, no no doubt about that. All right, let's, let's pull you back in now. Okay, uh, yeah, Dominic. Dominic Hoshik. Dominic, okay. Okay, well, we had we traded for Kachuk when the Lorries came in. I mean, everybody knew that the Lorries and, the, and then the Nancy the, uh, and then her sister in Colorado, it was all there. You know, it was all a, right. it was all a uh, part of the our world in St. Louis, you know. Yep. And uh, actually, they are almost like spying on each other. From, we heard that they had spied on us and we were spying on them. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Nothing like and then family we, rivalry. We had, yeah. And um, so we tr- we got Kachuk. They wanted to win. The money wasn't a big thing. Hey, and so we had gone from when Mark and I set out the the parameters for the ownership going forward before the lorries came in was a huge loss for five years in a row before the lockout. And then the lorries came in and bought the team, and they wanted to win. The, and I think a lot of it was the. The family, you know, Colorado, we, you know, we want to win too. So we got Kachuk, and then we, at the deadline, and not the deadline, but at the free agent time, July that year, we signed Dougie Waite. I think it was right around right. July 1. That Yeah, and Dominic was playing in Buffalo. Was it Buffalo? I think it was Buffalo. Buffalo, yeah. yep. And uh, they had decided he was going to move on. So... We had had conversations with Buffalo, and I knew that it was either Buffalo or us that he was going. So I called the uh, – Mark was right there with me, and I called the uh, – I told Mark, I said, I think we can make a deal. And, uh, you know, our payroll was up to like $60 million, I think, at that time. And we had got weight, and we had Walt, you know, we had Pronger and McGinnis, yep. and we had a hell of a team. And I said, Mark, I think we can get the, the Dominic. And uh, I told him, I forget exactly what the conference was. I think uh, the G- German kid that we had was part of the deal. Uh, Jürgen Hesch. Uh, Jürgen Hesch. And there was, yep. he was a good player at that time. I mean, right. He was looked at in the league as a, 
pretty good player. And there was somebody else, and it was first round pick. And and I told him what the money would be for one year. And uh, he he called, and the, they just felt they had spent enough money. And uh, they went to Detroit. And it was it, wow. And it, 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 it's an interesting how that that could have been such a game changer for the Blues on that side when you when you got to that point. Well, I mean, that's what we needed was a goalie, yep. you know. Now, yes. it would have been a lot of money. It was about, oh, hey, I think what he got with Detroit was like $8 million. Right. So that's what it would have been for one year, and that would have brought our payroll up to, I don't know, like high 60s or low 70s. Might have been a new mark uh, yep. in the league. You know, I don't know, but but the, everything was open at that time. I mean, there's no there was no cap or anything on it. And, so back, and they just felt that they just felt we spent enough money, and hey, that's fine, you know, and, and, and we did. We, we spent too much more. Right. Well, you're listening to the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. You know what? Larry Plo has been uh, such a good sport. We're going to bring you a little overtime. Why not? It's hockey. It's hockey talk, so we might as well go into some overtime. So stay tuned. One more segment with Larry Plo as we continue to talk about uh, the Chris Pronger scenario, uh, Alexander Steen trade, and more coming up in just a moment here on 101 ESPN. And one final time, we bring you back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show as we are still thrilled to have Larry Plo joining us. And, Larry, thanks for the extra time now. The other one I wanted to ask you about that one then, too, is you've got this team and you've got basically the, the premier defenseman of his generation, you know, and, and then w- when the ownership made the decision that you had to move Chris Pronger, uh, it, not an easy thing to do. Can can you take us through that that scenario? It was a uh, – we were going into Ottawa because we had just come out of the lockout, I think. Right. And um, Chris was making, I think, like – I think it was around $9 million, I think it was. Because I was trying to keep Chris into the uh, Leach contract. And Leach was 8.5, I think. And then Pronger was, we, we, we ended up with 9 or 9.5. And, and then we go into the lockout, and he's at the end of his contract, needs to be qualified. So he was qualified around 6 because we had, they had dropped all the salaries, about 30-some-odd percent, something right. like that. And uh, it just it wasn't a good fit anymore. You know, the ownership was, uh, you know, Chris had said something in the during the year um, about the ownership hiding money and stuff. And uh, I, I, I talked to Chris and I said, because Chris was representing the team. Right. And it really had nothing to do with Chris. It was just the time of the whole thing for the, for the organization. And I said, Chris, you got to go up and apologize. And I took him up to apologize to Nancy and Bill, you know, what he said. And and, um, and uh, from there, I think there was some, you know, some feelings that might not have been, uh, you know, they might not have been happy with right. what, he had, what he had commented on. So anyways, and then it became the, the out of the lockout and stuff that year and and, you know, the money had to be cut. So, I mean, the high-salary player was going to go. And, and it was funny, at that time at the draft, I had talked to every team. There was just nothing that really – nobody was in a position where they wanted to make a commitment to salaries and sign somebody, you know. We had one deal structured that I really liked with Florida the night before the draft. And – uh they wouldn't throw uh, Coley Campbell's kid in the deal, Mike. And uh, I said, well, we, he's got to be part of the deal. 
And Mike wow. said, no, he's not. He, so then we moved on. And then we went to Ottawa for the draft. And um, <clears throat> there was really, you know, that night we had the draft. And then I went back to St. Louis and basically uh, knew I had to move somebody. Uh, and uh, I felt that uh, compensation wasn't, uh, it was a bad deal as far as getting enough compensation. But um, there wasn't that much out there because I think everybody was watching the money, you know. And uh, well, you know, I probably didn't the... fight. I probably didn't fight hard enough to keep them, you know. And, and hey, let's go to the next step. Give me another year to go to the next step and see what it all brings, you know. But I really like, you know, Chris was a great player. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, 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 you could put guys in five fingers, you know. And, right. And uh, so it was. It was kind of. It, it wasn't not, not easy. Let me tell you, it wasn't an easy thing. And but it happens, you know. Well. You can look at it now like this, Larry. Uh, you end up with Eric Brewer in that deal. Eric Brewer ends up going to Tampa, and uh, in the with the pick that the Blues get back from uh, from Tampa, they end up taking Jordan Bennington. So <laughs> I, took, I'm a, huge... a long time to pick. Took us a long time to figure him out, too. <laughs> well, yeah, Hashik didn't work out, so we got that. But yeah, it's. it's yeah, I know it, what you guys think. I mean, that's what yeah. they do with these trades, right? Trade I, I trees. I love at... them. Yeah, some of the trade trees up in TSN is doing a lot of that stuff. And yeah. it, it's interesting how you go back from. <laughs> but it was, hey, it wasn't easy. I understood the the the, the lorries, and uh, it was kind of a slap in the face what he said in the paper. But we all say things that uh, probably aren't. Yeah, we don't. We like to take back at times. But you know, Chris was such a good player. I mean, he was. Uh, he adapted his game to. I mean, uh, uh, because of the league, the, the when they come out with the rules and everything, you know. And then he goes on to Edmonton, and then you know we we took defensemen, and uh, I think there was a draft. I forget exactly what it was, but um, I think that the other two players we took, we really felt were going to be good players, and they they never turned out. You know, right. if both those guys turn out to be just the average players in the league, you know, hey, it's okay, but. Uh, those things happen. Well, and, and last last but, thing, Larry, but, for you is is. is but we... I mean, I got I, I got no regrets because sure. I think the the, the lorries were so good to my wife and I, and uh, and uh, those things happen. You know that sometimes it's, uh, it just works out one way or the other way, whatever it may be. And, yeah. But I can remember the day when when Wendy got sick, and we were you know a couple months into it, and, and Bill called me up and said, Larry, hey, look at. Uh, if you need to take Wendy anywhere in the country, anywhere, uh, just call me. We'll, our, our private plane's available. Wow, that's awesome. So we all, we, we yeah, all no, they were good things, people. You know? they, they, they were very good owners they were, for the Blues. They, 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 they wanted they to win. Yeah. They had big hearts. They wanted to win, um, and I couldn't do it. You know, that's the, the bottom line. And, uh Last, last thing for you. Even, even, Mark, even, Mark, even Mark says to me once in a while now, he says, ah, we didn't fight far, hard enough for Pronger, you know, <laughs> the, the two of us together. You know? Yeah. But, okay, so so last thing for you, you know, the the, the team has to, goes to the bottom again. Uh, they end up at drafting Eric Johnson. So you were part. Obviously, you didn't leave till 2010, uh, the general manager post. You were part of the rebuilding process. So, you know, do, do you do you have a certain amount of pride in the fact that you were able to almost kind of bring the, the organization back twice? Well, I because mean, uh, yeah. it was Eric Johnson, yeah. David Backus, and all those that court the big trade for. I mean, the trade for Alexander yeah. Steen ends up being, I think, one of the biggest important trades in Blues history. Yeah, it was. It was a good. It was interesting too. You know, it's a. 
and Cliff had just come back into Toronto. Cliff and I knew each other for a long time, and and I think he just wanted to make a deal. You know, we liked Steen because of the the draft year and stuff like that. So again, you, you some of the trades you end up it's lucky, you know, and some of them you you, you think you got the, the the best deal and then it doesn't work out that way. But no, to be part of the rebuild and Doug was really good to me, you know. When Yamo left, and he, he he said, "Would you stay on for a year?" and I said, "Yes," and and I just do it for one year, and then I'm still here doing it. And he, you know, he's he's been great, and uh, uh, they've uh, I got nothing but uh, you know for the whole organization in this city, the media city. I mean, but it's interesting when you go back and look at some of these things that happened. You know, oh, it is it is. But uh... the Lorries the Lorries were great. They wanted to win. They they had their their vision of winning and. Uh, and uh, and the city was lucky to have them. I I, I can remember the day I, I I got a phone call. I was going up uh, Route One, and uh, you'd know where Route One North is, uh, going up the shore. And yep. um, I had a phone call for it was Dick Thomas. And uh, Dick says, "Hey, uh, I got your number from Pierre Lacroix, the general manager in uh, in Colorado, and Nancy's sister's married to the owner." Uh, as everybody knows in St. Louis so well. And um, I just wanted, this was Labor Day weekend. This is about four days before Labor Day weekend. And I'm driving up the road, and the phone rings. It's Dick, and I don't even know who Dick is. And he says he introduced himself as a lawyer for the lawyers, uh, for the for the uh, lorries, and we want to buy the blues. And I said, well, you know, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to talk to Mark Sowell. So I gave him Mark's number. And four days later, it was almost well, it was done over Labor Day weekend. Yeah, I've told I, I tell people that look, you have to uh, somebody's legacy, an owner's legacy is not just one part; it, it is the whole thing. And in the end, you know, it, it was it was the moving pronger. It was. You know, they decided it was time to after the lockout to, to get out of the business, that, that that kind of thing. But you cannot deny that under their ownership, until this recent run, they had the 10 most successful years regular season-wise of the franchise. They, they, were, they were setting records. There was a great buzz around the franchise, and they put money into the team to try and win. They just didn't get that puck luck to go along with it. But there That's was the, the commitment to the team was there. Step. Yeah. Oh, their commitment! Their commitment was huge. I mean, they were. I mean, they were. They they were just fantastic. You know, they just they wanted to win. You know, they wanted to win. And they were they yep. were there to win, and they loved St. Louis. And uh, uh, you know, if they could have won, they you know the ultimate. You know, that's for sure. And, and they were they, the franchise is, is is you know Tom had interest in it, and and it was great what he's done. I mean, look at the building, the fans. I mean, the whole thing is. Just a, a great franchise that's be around for a lot long, a long time. And now they've won, and uh, you know they'll everybody will get through this thing that we're going through now, and it'll it'll still be good there. Yeah. it'll be a, a, a hockey mecca for a long time. The alumni, look at what they've done. The players that come out of that area now, and you know, all the guys that are involved in that from the alumni, and now where it's taken. You now look at that; it's it's amazing. A little town from middle of St. Louis. Boom! Karan scored fifty goals there. <laughs> yeah, I knew. In the Central Hockey League. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh man! Look, we're, listen, we're going to have to go into a whole second hour if we get down that road again. Um, Larry, listen, thanks so much for giving us the time. Uh, please give our best to Wendy. You know, whenever 
Whenever you, uh, for the fans that didn't know, Larry's wife, Wendy, who who, who, who battled cancer, su- survived it, beat it. Whenever you would, would see Wendy, I mean, the room lights up. She Just a smile on her face, one of the most positive people that I've ever been around, uh, and, and, and we love her dearly. So, so thank you. Thank you for giving us the time, and please uh, give our best to Wendy and everybody, and we catch up real soon, I hope. Hey, i got to tell you one, one, one quick thing. The night that we, when I traded uh, Pronger, yep, and um, his, his, you know, this just how things work out, right? I used to stop in uh, Clayton and get a lot, uh, get a latte or a coffee at the uh, Starbucks there. So it had to be six thirty in the morning, right? And you're not going to run into anybody at six thirty in the morning, right? <laughs> so and you're doing it on my, purpose, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get out of my car, right? And who's walking out of Starbucks and I'm walking in? Chris's wife. Oh no. But she was great. She was great. Yeah. We hugged each other, and uh, that's why I say. I mean, it, it's these things happen, but it's you know you, you, you couldn't. I know you know Wendy and her were, were had some good conversations before. You know they were and they were they were close, and it's amazing though that there there she was walking on. What are you going to do? You going to go around her? You gonna... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's fantastic! Wow, Larry, thank so you so much, man. Hug. Yeah, okay. that is that, that's outstanding. We, we appreciate. It. We've been talking with Blue, former Blues general manager Larry Plo. Some some of the good, some of the tough times as well. Here as uh, we bring you the board, boardwalk behind the. Uh, I'm sorry, the boardwalk hardware floors behind the bench show. Remember, boardwalk hardware floors is great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. You can increase the style and value of your home with new hardwood floors. The three area showrooms not open yet, but give them a call three one four seven three zero thirty one hundred. And shop online at BoardWalkHardwood.com. Larry, once again, th- thank you so much. Uh, we'll get through this, and uh, look forward to seeing you down the road here very, very soon. Thank you. All right. Uh, everybody in St. Louis, thanks a lot. And we'll be back with you next Wednesday night here on 101 ESPN.